Welcome to the Eternal Family Podcast class. This is class number eight on compassion, work, and wholesome recreational activities. We'll summarize that last one as simply rest or play. Families need to work and families need to rest and play together. But first, let's take a look at compassion. What does it mean for families to have compassion? Once again, I'm going to do this every time. I want to make sure that you see the brilliance of this document and our approach to it. Um, we are... Oh, this is my different... Sorry, let me go back to this one. Let me go back to this one. We are all the husbands and wives or the children of the husband and wives that form an earthly family. So this is Jennifer and I. So here I am in the orange, Jennifer and I trying to build an eternal family. And that husband-wife is sandwiched between heavenly parents. And on the other side, we've got the teachings of the Lord Jesus. And we've seen those three eternal families, right? I am a child of eternal parents, the family of Heavenly Father earthly families, and the family of Jesus Christ. And the secret is to understand that that family has a tremendous influence on this family. If I want to be a better father, a better husband, a better child, I need to be a member of that family. I need to have a relationship with Heavenly Father. The more I have a relationship with Heavenly Father, that will improve this family. Do you all believe that? Perhaps one of the single most great, the greatest thing I can do to improve my family life here on earth is to have a relationship with my father and be part of that family. Now we've turned this direction. If I want to improve this family, I'm going to turn to the family of the covenant, the family of Christ. And he is going to teach me how to be a better family member. So we've been focusing on this sentence. Happiness in family life is most likely to be achieved when founded upon the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we've been very specific. Prophets, seers, and revelators were very specific to say, if you want to focus on the ones that will most improve and make your marriage and family successful, it's this list to start with. Successful marriages and families are established and maintained on principles of faith. Prayer. Repentance, forgiveness, respect, love, compassion, work, and wholesome recreational activities. So we have been digesting these, and I like to present them in pairs. Faith and prayer, a beautiful pair. Faith and prayer and family. Repentance and forgiveness. The only way families stay together is if we say we're sorry a lot and we forgive a lot. And the rule of the gospel is very important to families. God will forgive me as quickly as I forgive others. Now, I for one want God to forgive me very quickly. But it would be very hypocritical of me to say, you forgive me really quick, Lord, and then not forgive someone else. I'm a hypocrite. I want you to forgive me quick, but I'm not going to forgive them quick. 
Now, may I suggest that the measure of our forgiveness isn't the stranger that cut you off on the road. The measure of our forgiveness are the people where? In the inner circles of our heart. I think the measure of how quickly I forgive is the people in my home. If I am quick to forgive my wife, then... Heavenly Father is quick to forgive me. If I hold grudges and resent things she's done in the past, then what does Heavenly Father do? I am telling Heavenly Father to hold grudges and resent things I've done in the past. I get to decide how merciful he is by how merciful I am. So forgiveness, repentance. And then we get a a trilogy. Respect, love, and compassion. I hope that was very eye-opening for you last week. Respect in family. I think you've all seen when respect is missing. Tell me what it looks like when respect is presence in a relationship. What happens when your family, when your spouse respects you? Any thoughts from the last week? As you've digested what we did last week? Isn't that fascinating? Kids aren't afraid to come home because my dad, my mom, see great value in me. My mom and dad see great value in me. I want to be home. Beautiful. Any other thoughts? Respect or love? Respect, quick summary of respect for those who weren't here. Give me a quick summary of respect. Uh, You went back to the idea of uh, seeing people for who they are and their identity as a child of God rather than just an inconvenience or (laughs) someone who's just there. If we trust that Heavenly Father has declared their value and treat them based on that value, that's respect. So because we have a little bit more time today, I wanted to start there and go back and say, can I tell you what Heavenly Father says everyone around you is worth? Let me let, me, let, me let Heavenly Father declare the value He has placed in every human being. What is a person worth to God? Let's get a few statements from Him, and you tell me what He is declaring our worth is. Okay, turn to Doctrine and Covenants 19 or 18. Let's start in Doctrine and Covenants 18. I'm gonna let he I'm gonna let himself declare it. What does God say a soul is worth? All right, Doctrine and Covenants section 18. I know you you know this famous verse in verse 10. Remember the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. So let's descri- let's describe number one. What is One soul worth in verses 11 and 12. Everything Jesus paid, would he have paid if there was one soul to save? Yes. So that person you just flipped off is worth everything Jesus paid for that person. It is worth the suffering of Christ. 
Now, do you respect that or do you not? Do you see that much value in everyone around you, especially the people in your inner circle? Okay, how about this one? Verse 15. What is one soul worth? What did Jesus declare one soul is worth? Great joy. Okay, it's going to bring great joy, but what did you do? What is one soul worth? A lifetime of labor. If you were to labor your entire life and save one person, was it worth it? If you save one person, was it worth it? Therefore, what was that one per person worth? An entire lifetime of labor. Now, do I really think my wife is worth an entire lifetime of labor? Because if I believe that, I'll treat her differently, won't I? Please. I can't remember what talk it was, and it might have just been like a state conference talk, but uh, I've heard somebody say at some point that uh, even if that one soul that you saved is your soul. Is you. Is it worth it to save your soul to work an entire lifetime? Yes. Are you, are you worth that? Okay, let's do one more. New Testament, Matthew chapter 16. Let me just throw one more on. New Testament, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus kind of says, verse 26. Matthew 16, 26. Let's read this one. Who wants to read? Matthew 26, 16, please. Matthew 16, 26. There is, yeah, the wrong. What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So what's he suggesting? What is a soul worth? More than the whole world. Now, if I think my car is worth more than my child, am I in harmony with what God just declared? That little boy is worth every car in the universe put together. And yet it's easy to kind of care more about the car than the boy. Do you see respect? Respect is to accept the value that God has placed in every human being to see that value and treat them as that value. And I'm going to plead with you once again. Don't marry anyone that doesn't respect you. And don't marry anyone you don't respect. Respect in family is critical. Okay, any other thoughts? Respect, please. This was a while ago, but there was this family that had they had just just a truck. It was like they lived on a farm, so they didn't really have much. And that eventually they saved up and they got this shiny new car. And this dad was super happy about it. And they had all the all the things on it, super fancy. And um, the one of the son, who I don't know, was probably older teenage years, 
um, was going to take this truck or take this new car to go on a date. And he got into the, he started pulling out the driveway and he realized he forgot something inside. So he went, ran back inside and he comes back out and he sees that the car has rolled down the driveway and gone into the river across the, on the other side of the road. And so he's like, oh, what am I going to do? This is like our entire savings. Um, and the, the respect that his dad shows him. So he kind of goes in and talks to his dad. And he says, dad, uh, you know, I'm, he's, he's like feeling so bad. I feel so sorry. The, the car rolled in the river. And the dad says, well, I guess you'll have to take a truck. And he doesn't say anything else about that for the rest of his life. And just shows how much this respect his dad had for his son. Yeah. That his, his son was worth way more than this, this brand new car. Yep. Unfortunately, are there dads that don't think that? <laughs> My uh, nine-year-old son broke one of our charging cables, um, and he was terrified. Um, he said, Mom, could you, could you tell Dad? Could you tell Dad that I broke one of his cables? He was terrified to tell me. And, you know, and so I came home and my wife said, Owen thinks you're mad at him because you broke one of his cables. He broke one of your charging cables. And he looked at me like, please don't get mad at me, Dad. I was just terrified. Look, and I just said, Owen, you're worth much more than charging cables to me. And this look of, I am? Yes. You're much more important than a charging cable. We can get another one. I can't get another of you. So respect. Respect. Love is that Love we need to not see as an emotion. If love is an emotion, then what do you know about it? It's temporary. And how many of you want love to be temporary? Does, lo does God love me even when he's angry at me? Thank goodness, right? Love is the choice. Love is the commitment. I am in it. That's love. Okay, so that leaves compassion. Today we're going to do compassion, and then we're going to jump down here for one because it's related to the triangle, and then we'll come back and do wholesome, we'll do work and play next week. So I want to do compassion and the rib symbolism tonight. The only way I can teach compassion is to show you compassion. If you can see compassion, then you can apply it into your life. Let me show you compassion. I need you to turn to Alma chapter 7, to one of the greatest contributions of the Book of Mormon. People who do not believe the Book of Mormon do not have this doctrine. Alma chapter 7. Let's start in verse 11. Now, as a preface, when we speak of the atonement, we speak of an infinite atonement. Infinite. Infinite. That's a concept that is lost on mortals because nothing in, the, in nothing in our life is infinite and that boggles our mind. Infinite. Um, I had a, a son that was my, he was fascinated with numbers and one day in sacrament meeting, he handed me a tablet and he said, Dad, write infinity. I want to see the number infinity. Now, you, 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 children know that we name numbers, right? We've got million, billion, trillion, quadrillion. He wanted to see the number infinity. 
Now, what if I had filled that entire notebook with one single number with digits that filled that entire notebook and divided that number by infinity? What does it round to? Zero. It's nothing. If I, were to com if I were to compile all the supercomputers on earth and have them tabulate the largest number that all the combined supercomputers could tabulate and divide that number by infinity, what does it round to? Zero. That concept of infinity is hard for us, but the atonement is infinite. There is a false doctrine creeping around the church that Jesus paid the sum of all of our sins. That is false doctrine. Why do I say that? The sum of all of our sins divided by infinity rounds to zero. What did he pay? Infinite. He did not pay the sum of all of our sins. That was nothing compared to what he paid. He paid infinity. Now, when we speak of the atonement in terms of infinite, we're going to talk about infinite breadth and infinite depth. So let's go through these words one at a time. As part of the atonement, Jesus went forth suffering pain. Now it says here, of every kind. There's our infinite. Jesus suffered pain of every kind. So let's do infinite breadth. Let me use an example, just the breaking of my arm. How many possible ways are there to break an arm? Now, Jesus suffered the breaking of an arm, how many ways? Every single possible way a human being can break their arm at any age, he suffered that break. Jesus went through a broken arm infinite ways. And here's the thing. If you break your arm, it's in a cast for a few weeks. How long did he suffer every single break? For an eternity. How long has he had a broken arm? For eternity. Infinite breadth. Infinite depth. Every single human pain. Has he, does he know the pain of childbirth? Has Jesus, in essence, given birth? How many ways? Every way. Every way. Has he been raped? Beaten up? Sexually abused? Every pain. Every single human pain. And how long did each one of them last? The next word on this list is afflictions. Name something that afflicts someone you love. Name an affliction. Depression? Let's do depression. How many varieties of depression has Jesus known? Every variety. And how long has he been depressed? How depressed has Jesus been? 
infinite depression. Every variety for an eternal length. Name something else that afflicts someone you love. Anxiety. Anxiety. How many varieties of anxiety has Jesus known? Every one of them. And how long did he suffer them? An eternity. To how many substances has Jesus been addicted? Every one of them. Does he know withdrawal? How long has he been in that state? Every human experience, every human experience, every temptation, every temptation, infinite depth, infinite variety. Sickness. Every sickness. Does Jesus know COVID? Cancer? How many forms of cancer has Jesus had? And how long did each one last? Has the Savior had breast cancer? Has he died of lung cancer? Does he know COVID? Does he know mental illness? Does he know what it's like to be schizophrenic? Every mental illness. For how long? In verse 12, it says he will take upon him death. How many ways has Jesus died? How many ways has he died? Every way. Has he been burned at the stake? Decapitated? Has he drowned? Has he died of COVID? Has he had a long, painful death of cancer? And how long? Now, most of us die, maybe even in a painful way, but it doesn't last very long. How long did each one of them last for him? In one sense, they're still going on. He talks about infirmities. Every human condition. Has he fallen 60 feet in a canyon? Has he been in a water boat accident? Has he broke his leg skiing down the mountain? Has Jesus been gay? And how long? Every human condition. Let me read this, one of my favorite quotations. This is from um, a woman who was in the Relief Society presidency back in the 1990s. So she's speaking to women. So yeah, she's talking about women's issues, but you can, pair, you can apply it to your life. She said, Jesus experienced the totality of mortal existence in Gethsemane. That's a, that's a powerful phrase, the totality of mortal existence in Gethsemane. It is our faith that he experienced everything, absolutely everything. 
sometimes we don't think through the implication of that belief. We talk about, we talk in great generalities about the sins of all humankind and about the suffering of the entire human family, but we don't experience pain in generalities. We experience it individually. That means that Jesus knows what it felt like when your mother died of cancer, how it was for your mother and how it still is for you. He knows what it felt like when you lost the student body election. He knows the moment that when the brakes locked and the car skidded, started to skid. He experienced the slave ship sailing from Ghana towards Virginia. He experienced the gas chambers of Ducal. He experienced napalm in Vietnam. He knows about drug addiction and alcoholism. There is nothing you have experienced as a woman that he doesn't also know and recognize. On a profound level, he understands about pregnancy and giving birth. He knows about PMS and cramps and menopause. He understands about rape and infertility and abortion. He understands your mother pain when your five-year-old leaves for kindergarten, when a bully picks on your fifth grader, when your daughter calls to say that the new baby has Down syndrome. He knows your mother rage when a trusted babysitter sexually abuses your two-year-old, when someone gives your 13-year-old drugs, when someone seduces your 17-year-old. He knows the pain you live with when you come home to a quiet apartment where the only children who ever come are visitors. When you hear that your former husband and his new wife were sealed in the temple last week. When your 50th wedding anniversary rolls around and your husband has been dead for two years. He knows all that. He's been there. He's been lower than all that. Now that is compassion. I have felt what you felt. I know exactly how it feels. Now, why'd you do it? Let's go back to Alma. Tell me why you did it. The rest of verse 12, why'd you do it? Why did he come to know every human condition? Anyone want to read it? That, that his bowels. That his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh. He may know according to the flesh how to suffer his people according to their infirmities. That he may know according to the flesh, by the very experience, what to say, what to do, how to help. Because he's experienced it, he knows what to do while you're experiencing it. Sometimes people think they're helping and they aren't, are they? My brother died when I was 16, he was 12. My mom lost a 12-year-old child. And a lot of people came to the funeral and said what they thought were comforting words, which were not comforting. I'll never forget that. My mom taught me that some people trying to be comforting were not comforting because they didn't understand. Well, who knows exactly what to say and exactly what to do in every circumstance? He does. Now, compassion 
is the degree to which I have gone through what they're going through. And the only way families work is we try to understand what someone we love is going through. Let me give you an example. I'm coming. Hold on. Let me give you an example. My 15-year-old daughter, she's not 15, but when she was, my 15-year-old daughter comes home devastated that the boy she likes doesn't like her. Now, tell me what the dad inside of me is thinking. What's the dad thinking when the boy doesn't like my daughter? Yes! Thank goodness! But what's my daughter feeling? My life is over. Now, I can either minimize that pain and say, oh my goodness, suck it up. Or I can do what? I can put myself in her pain. Now, what will a dad do who has compassion for what his daughter is going through? I won't see that moment from my perspective. I will see that moment through her perspective. I will jump into her experience to the degree that I can feel what she feels. Now, we saw last week, do I treat people differently when I see them clearly? Yes. Do I treat people differently when I feel what they're feeling? Yes. If I don't feel what they're feeling, how do I have a tendency to treat them? I know a lot of people who, I know a lot of teachers, for example, if you were to say to a teacher, my son suffers from migraines. My son suffers from migraines. I know a lot of teachers who say, oh my gosh, you're one of those. Suck it up and get the homework done. Because I guarantee that teacher has never suffered from migraines. I can always tell a teacher who suffered from migraines. My child suffers from migraines. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, what can I do to help? Do I treat people differently when I have felt what they are feeling? Do you see why compassion is required? I have a gay son. I am not gay. And for my son and I to have a relationship, what must I do? Feel what he feels. Will I treat him differently when I feel what he feels? Now, how can I do that if I don't feel what he feels? How can I do that? We all admit that I will treat him differently if I feel what he feels, but I don't feel what he feels, so how can I do that? I can ask the one who feels it and patiently do what? Even if you don't understand, because most people when they say, oh, I understand what you're going through, they have no idea. I need you to describe. I need you to tell me. And he needs me to what? He needs me to what? Listen and to care. And there's the test of our relationship, right? He needs me. He needs to know that I respect him. 
I choose him. I'm not going away. You're not going away. And I don't feel what you feel, and so I need you to help me. You talk. I listen. I care. You see compassion in relationships? She was, I, I snuffed her, so hold on one second. We're coming right back. Yeah. Like that hurts my heart. Um, because you have. I, I don't know. That, because you have compassion pain. for him. For my pain, so. But as I was thinking about it, he needs to experience the pain before I get there so that he knows how to help me as I go into that. Yeah. And then he needs to be able to still feel it while I'm feeling it. And I feel so bad all of a sudden, but it's fine. Because <laughs> he's, he's capable. I would not be now, let, let me. Can I testify? But he, he's happy. He's happy. The proving of contrary. (laughs) But then he also feels it after because I have the pain of memory. Like, I remember that pain, but he still knows how to suffer me even though I've forgotten some of the pain. Like, it has to be infinite for it to be perfect. Yeah. Do Do you see why we love him so much and why we need him? He is compassion. He is the embodiment of compassion. Okay. Well, so originally what I was going to say is that you, know, you, could, you should ask the one who knows perfectly what they're going through. You got both of them. That's not the person who's going through it. That's Jesus Christ. You ask for assistance from him. Because normal people, I mean, even if we try to describe, we can't convey. And even if, you know, you're somehow able to perfectly describe it, you, you still don't have that feeling within you. I mean, you won't ever feel exactly the same as that person. But with Jesus Christ on your side, he knows more perfectly what they're going through than they do themselves. And with him, you can be a tool in his hands to help. Yep. So ask the person who's going through it and listen, and then ask the person who went through it and is still going through it and listen. Ask Jesus. Would it be Do you think it would be a proper prayer for me to ask Heavenly Father to ask that the Savior help me feel what my son feels? Could he do that? Could he help me feel what my son feels? Part of the reason he went through it isn't not just to go through it with me, it's to help other people go through it with me. If he felt it, then what can he do with that pain? He can share it. And that's a beautiful aspect of the atonement. So I pray with all my heart that I feel the pain of the people that I love and then treat them the way I feel their pain. Please. I would add on to that. It's not all about our understanding pain. Like this verse in verse 12 says, it's so that he can succor us. Yeah. And so I know that Sometimes when I'm going through something hard, I think I know what I need. But Christ is really the one who knows what I need to get through that. And so when we're helping other people, we can listen. Listening to somebody is so, so important. But ultimately, I think listening to Christ is more important because he knows how we can succor that person better than they know 
how to suck it. Now that's a key to parenting because if you ask a child what the child needs and you do it every single time, you're going to be an awful parent. <laughs> so sometimes the child says, here's what I need, and I say to the child, what? Oh, sweetheart, no, that's not what you need. Candy for dinner is not what you need. And we do the same thing with Jesus, right? What does my suffering daughter need? And it may not be what my suffering daughter thinks she needs, but I need to understand both. I need to understand my daughter, and I need to understand Christ. Please. Uh, I was just going to go back to what you said about um, us having to pray for that uh, understanding. Uh, it's a scripture I'm headed to. By Elder Bednar called Increase in Learning. He, he discusses a bunch of spiritual gifts that um, only we only get when we ask for them. They don't just happen. And this is one of those. We can, you know, we can try our very hardest to try to interpret what they feel, what they need, and how to help them. But unless we ask, unless we put in that effort to try to, you know, use the atonement to help us understand and to help them, we're not going to get that understanding. We're not going to be able to help so we need to remember that if we really care, we'll pray about it and we'll ask so that we can get that understanding. Does compassion apply to charity? Now, I believe, I told you this, that that triangle, respect, love, and compassion, I believe that triangle is charity. Charity is when respect, love, and compassion are present. Now, listen to what Mormon taught his son Moroni. If you want charity, now could I take the word charity out, or love in this case, and replace it with compassion? You tell me if you believe it reads the same way. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart that you may be filled with this compassion, which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ. Does it fit? So may I suggest that skill of compassion in families is to ask, talk, listen, understand. Tell me what you're feeling. The daughter, the daughter that came home crushed because the boy doesn't like her. What's an appropriate response for her, her father? What's an appropriate response? I'm so sorry. Keep going. That must be really Tell hard. me what you're feeling. Now, is it okay if I'm biting my tongue the whole time? and rejoicing that the boy doesn't like her? Yes, it's okay. Because I am still a father. But does, tell me what she needs in that moment. What does she doesn't need me telling me that I'm better off without the boy. That's right. What she needs in that moment is a father that does what? Cares. I, I, I want to feel what you're feeling. I see you. I choose you, and I want to feel what you feel. Respect, love, compassion. Do you see the triangle? Okay, that left us 10 minutes. We don't have time for the last one. How about we do work and play? We could do work and play in 10 minutes. We'll do a quick version of work and play. We'll save the re We'll swap these. We'll do side-by-side side next week. We'll do work and play. Let me take you back to the creation of the earth. Can I show you something funny? Turn to Moses chapter 2. 
Just kind of a pet peeve of mine, and I know there's a thousand theories, and other people will make fun of my interpretation, but can I just show you something unusual? Go to the Pearl of Great Price, and look at Moses chapter 2. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, the day of creation. Now, is Eve there? Is Eve there at the end of chapter two? You read verse 27. Is Eve there? Is Eve there? She has to be there, right? First of all, I created male and female, created I them. And then he commands them to. Is Eve there? Is that a command that involves Eve? Yeah. Is Eve there? Yeah. Okay, so then how do you explain the end of chapter 3 about the whole rib thing? This is not the story of Eve's creation. This is commentary. If you ask me, all of Moses chapter 3 is Heavenly Father saying, can we talk about this world that we just made? Now, when you were 16 and about to drive, before your parents handed over the keys to a very expensive machine, tell me what they did. Can we talk about this machine for a minute? Chapter 3 is Heavenly Father saying, before I turn this world over to you, can we talk about how to succeed? And the very first thing he said... The very first commentary on how to succeed in life is work and rest. God commanded work and God commanded rest. He started the world by saying, you need to work. And you need to rest. Now, does that mean we get out of balance in two ways? What are the two ways we get out of balance? Too much work. Some people need to work more. Now, forgive me, but there might be a moment where someone needs to come into your life and say, school, work, you need to work harder. Family, you need to work harder. There is always, sometimes we drift to the side of not working hard enough. And the scriptures are full of, don't be idle. Today I want to talk about the other one. Because some of you are breaking the rules. Some of you, Heavenly Father is not pleased with. Because he commanded us to work. And what did he do? What did God do after creating the earth? What did he himself do? He rested. And he commanded us to rest. And some of you have forgotten the commandment to rest. We get out of balance and we need to rest and play. So let me address that. Let me address those of you who are out of balance towards the side of you have forgotten the commandment to rest. I was just going to give some personal experience. So I think last week I was in the temple and I was just sitting in the celestial room after the session and I was just praying like, Heavenly Father, I'm tired. I, I don't know if I can like actually do my homework today. I just kind of felt the Spirit give me a little hug and say, then don't, don't. 
Like, I, I felt the spirit telling me, you need to take a day off, and your brain will not work. Just don't do anything today. And it was the weirdest prompting I've ever had, but it was so good. You are out of balance. You need to rest. We, we, we get there. Now, I think I, I think I know why. I think there's a natural tendency. I think we do what Pharaoh did to the children of Israel. Turn to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. Remember how they're slaves? And what do they want? Okay, go to the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 5. Now, tell me what they want. What is Israel asking of Pharaoh? Verse 3, let us, we pray thee, go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice unto our Lord. In other words, their first request wasn't, can we go free? Their first request was, can we just go to the temple? Can we go out in the wilderness and build a temple and, and worship in the temple? Can we just go worship to our God? And tell me what was Pharaoh's response. If you have time to worship, then you're not working hard enough. Therefore, I'm not going to provide straw anymore. Now, how many of you do that to yourself? How many of you say to yourself, if I have time to rest, then I'm not working hard enough. And that is a lie. I have a sweet wife who I love dearly who cannot sit down and take a minute for herself because as soon as she sits down, what does she do? She thinks of all the things she should be doing. And she says to herself, what? If I have time to sit, then I'm not working hard enough. Therefore, I'm going to work harder. And you Pharaoh yourself. You are your own Pharaoh. It is a lie. It is a lie. Because Heavenly Father commanded rest. He rested. He created an earth and then he rested. Now you go through the New Testament and you mark every time Jesus rests. I love those verses where he just needed some time to himself. Can I just have a day to myself? He rested. So let's conclude. Everyone turn to Luke chapter 10. I think this is a beautiful example of where to end. Luke chapter 10, Martha and Mary. You've all seen this picture, right? Where Martha's cooking dinner and Mary's sitting at his feet. Everyone turn to Luke. New Testament, Luke chapter 10. All right, so Jesus comes to Bethany, where Martha and Mary lived. Verse 38, came to pass as as they went, they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him unto her house. Now, tell me what your mom would do if Jesus were coming to dinner. Okay, that's Martha. Hey, Jesus is coming to dinner. No fun! Work right now. 
And she kind of overdoes it, right? Because Jesus is coming to dinner. I get it. Jesus is coming to dinner, Martha. She had a sister called Mary, which sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. Martha was cumbered. Martha was cumbered. Martha was cumbered about much serving. Sometimes at school, work, a thousand things that cumber us. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Now Jesus double names her. Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. And can you hear him gently double naming you? In the temple that morning, Martha, Martha. I call them my Martha, Martha moments. I've said to my wife, I'm having a Martha, Martha moment where the Savior's saying, Martha, Martha. Thou art careful. Now give me the footnote on careful. Worried. Cumbered, careful, worried, troubled. You are cumbered, careful, worried, troubled about many things. But right now, right now, with you being cumbered, one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part. Notice we quote, so many people quote this. So many people put the word better here. That's not better. Rest isn't better than work, and work isn't better than rest. The question is, what's needful at that moment? And with Martha being cumbered and worried and troubled, what's needful? Rest. So I want you to hear him in those moments of your life where you are out of balance, I need you to hear him double name you, Martha, Martha. Right now, one thing is needful. And the Savior would have you choose that good part. One of my favorite scriptures, one of my favorite journal entries from Joseph Smith is one day in the middle of November, in the middle of the winter, Joseph Smith wrote in his journal, today I diverted myself by taking my son Frederick out and sliding on the ice. Tell me what the prophet Joseph did one day. He slid on the ice with his boy. Because sometimes when you're a prophet, what do you need to do? You need to slide on the ice. Do you see what's needful? When you are cumbered and troubled and worried, one thing is needful and choose the better part. And there's the battle. There is the battle. And there's the Martha, Martha. If you are, mo if you're pharaohing yourself, if you're not allowing, if you're saying to yourself, I, if I have time to rest, I'm not working hard enough. You have to win that battle. Martha, Martha, one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part. Choose it too. What was Jesus saying? We can eat later. Right now, you need to rest.
So if anyone in this room is cumbered, troubled, worried, choose the good part and rest. If you don't, you are not balanced. Do not believe the lie. You need to rest. I think the good part can be different depending on where you are. And not just, you know, in you got it. That's why I'm so glad he didn't say better part. He said good part. What's needful right now? Now, will there be a moment in my life where what's needful is to get to work? Is there going to come a moment where, you know what, I, do, I can't go, guys. I've got to do my homework. What's needful in this moment is to get this report written. But don't be afraid to grant yourself that other moment that says, I need to rest. What is needful in this moment is to rest. I think it's interesting with, we were talking about the kind of the commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy a little bit. That's kind of the, the uh, what I was getting from it. And I've always thought this wasn't so interesting because we always are like, oh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But what it says in Exodus chapter 20 is, um, so verse 8, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 9 says, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. So it's saying, not just do all your work before Sunday or before the Sabbath, but also you should be working. And he's saying that you should be working during that time. <clears throat> um, verse 10 says, But the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord, and in it thou shalt not do any work, that nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. And he's kind of coming in and saying exactly, don't do what Pharaoh said. Pharaoh said, oh, you think you have time to rest, work harder? He's saying, not even your slaves, not even your servants, None of this stuff are allowed to work on this day. Absolutely not. And he's like full on forcing them to like not work. And then like with when they had the, the manna from heaven, it literally was like back. If you work, I'm going to punish you. Exactly. <laughs> so I just thought that's really interesting. We always focus on that one part of this, one part of the commandment, but we don't read the, the whole thing. Yeah. So grant yourself the, the needful part. Some of you need a little work. Some of you need a little rest. And when rest is needed, don't be cumbered. Now, going back to that list, do you see why this is a fantastic list? Faith, prayer, repentance, forgiveness, respect, love, compassion, work, and wholesome recreational activities. Families need to work and families need to play. Couples need to work and couples need to play. Individuals need to work and individuals need to play. Take your son and go slide on the ice. Okay, thank goodness Heavenly Father gave us mud and slot canyons and slopes of ice. Oh, thank you for slopes of ice, Heavenly Father. Thank you for basketball hoops and thank you for football stadiums Thank you for music. Thank you for the rest they bring. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining us for the Eternal Family podcast class. This has been class number eight on compassion, work, and rest. Would you share with a friend some of the insights you've gained from this class? 
What does compassion mean to you now? How are you going to gain compassion for those in your inner circle? What is the balance in your life and in the life of your family between work and rest? And what is needful in your life right now? And how might you choose that good part?